today we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. And as I read it, uh, you can follow along. Hear the word of the Lord. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of God. You know, we live in an age of the internet and the smartphone, and one of the things that, that has enabled us to do is we have access to a lot of information. And we can access that information pretty quickly now. You know, as a pastor, I remember when I used to lead and teach Bible studies, if somebody had a question and I didn't have an answer to it and I couldn't answer, my response would usually be like this. I would say, uh, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, Let me go home, let me look at my books, and I'll get back to you next week. You know, today when uh, I lead a Bible study and somebody asks a question, I go, oh, gee, that's a good question. I'm not really sure the answer to that. Someone inevitably will go to their phone, Google the question, and say, oh, this is the answer, right? Uh, It's a very different, uh, you know, a different age we live in because we can access answers to these kind of questions pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, I half-jokingly say to my wife, you know, Google uh, is going to make me irrelevant because people can just go online and get answers to questions that they have on the Bible now. Uh, People can access sermons from much better preachers than me now. Uh, So I'm going to become irrelevant. Uh, you know, technology has changed a lot of things, but you know, one of the things technology has also changed is the flow of direction in terms of the transfer of knowledge and the transfer of information. Because in uh, prior generations, the transfer of knowledge and information would usually go from those who are older to those who are younger, right? That's, that's what would happen. Technology has actually reversed that where now it's uh, younger people who are in the position to uh, actually be more equipped to to live in the modern age, and therefore younger people now are the ones who tend to teach older people how to do things and how to use computers and how to use technology. Many of you have uh, probably had to, I'm going to guess and assume, uh, teach your parents how to use a computer or how to use the internet or how to use a smartphone when they first started to use it. Uh, I remember trying to teach my parents how to use a computer, and uh, I remember trying to teach them how to double-click on an icon in order to open an application or in order to open a file, and it was one of the most frustrating experiences I've ever had with them. Uh, I'm going to confess to you, I was not a very good son in that moment. Uh, But all all I can say is, you know, simple computer tasks like that, that I think now a 10-year-old can do, um, you know, older generations uh, have difficulty acquiring that skill, and Technology has really switched things in in the sense of how now uh, information or who teaches whom, right? Now, I don't know if that's the reason why in our culture we prize youth so much, but it could be one of the reasons why we prize youth so much in our culture. It could be one of the reasons why, at least in the U.S., uh, the elderly are seen as largely irrelevant and uh, seen as people who cannot contribute meaningfully to society, whereas Uh, The cool people, the important people are the younger people. Uh, Perhaps technology has changed the way we uh, view young and old now. I think many of us probably do whatever we can to to stay young, to appear young. Uh, There's an entire industry of skincare products (laughs) 
that is making a fair amount of money because there's a ton of people who want to continue to look young. You know, my wife has been saying to me, uh, I'm starting, my face is starting to look old and tired. I'm trying to see your reaction to see if it's like, (laughs) yeah, she's right, or what? What is she talking about? Uh, You know, she's like, you know, you're starting to look pretty old and pretty tired. Your uh, eyes are getting baggier. uh, I can see your pores, and uh, your skin just looks really bad. So she said this, you know, for one week, can we try something, please, right? Can you you do my skin regimen on your face for one week? And I said, all right, let's do it, right? Let's see if it makes a difference. Let's see if my face improves. Let's see if I start to look younger. And so, uh, you know, every evening, uh, we would stand next to each other in the bathroom. <laughs> she'd, she'd hand me a bottle. She'd say, all right, put this on. Right? What is this? Toner. Okay. Right? Put it on. It's like, that's it? She's like, no, no. Put this on. What is this? I don't even know what it's called, right? Water-based lotion, oil. I, I don't know. There's like five or six things that I had to put on my face. Uh, right? Pore cleanser, right? The thing that, like... I guess cleans your pores. <laughs> Most of you probably know what I'm talking about. Uh, maybe some of you don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, right, she would just hand me thing after thing. And, uh, you know, after each time, I was like, another one, right, another one? Are you serious? And eventually, I'm like, how much does all this stuff cost? She's like, it's not cheap, right? It's not cheap. Now, I didn't look up the numbers, but here's my guess. I'm going to guess that uh, skincare companies probably make a lot of money, right? And the reason why I'm going to guess that is not simply because of how much this stuff costs, but in our culture, people want to stay young, right? People want to look younger because we value youth. But, you know, it wasn't always that way because, uh, and, you know, some of you, those of you who grew up in Asian cultures, uh, you know that in some cultures, it's the elderly who are honored, right? Uh, It's the elderly who are honored and seen as incredibly valuable. And one of the reasons why I think some cultures uh, have that perspective is because it's the elderly who had a lot of wisdom and a lot of life experience to hand down to younger generations. It would be grandparents or parents who would uh, teach uh, youth or their children about how to do things, like I guess in an agrarian society, how to grow crops, how to build a house, how to build a business, how to raise children, and a host of other topics. These days, We turn to uh, the internet. Uh, We open up YouTube to learn how to do things, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you know, one of the downsides that that could produce is uh, we could overemphasize the value of information over the value of wisdom. We have access to a lot of information, but that doesn't mean we have wisdom, right? During the next few months, we're going to look at the book of Proverbs, and It's interesting. Proverbs actually assumes the transfer of uh, knowledge and wisdom coming from an older person training a younger person because uh, a lot of times it's an address from a father to a son. And, you know, the challenge of Proverbs and the challenge of wisdom is that you can't receive it in the same way that you receive all other kinds of information. You know, oftentimes what I notice is people just want to know what to do, right? Tell me what to do. Tell me what the Bible says. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. And uh, that's why I think self-help books are so popular because it's like, okay, tell me what to do to get better in this thing. I think that's why articles that say, you know, four steps to getting a promotion are so popular because it's like, tell me what to do. We are creatures of law, and therefore the temptation of being creatures of law is we, we want to interpret and look at the world as black and white because in many ways that makes the world easier to navigate. Wisdom doesn't navigate in the black and white. Wisdom navigates in the gray areas of life. Wisdom doesn't say answer the fool or ignore the fool when someone says something foolish to you, but wisdom says both. 
and says, you need wisdom in order to know when to answer the fool and when to ignore the fool. That, friends, is a limitation of information. You know, you can do a Google search on the five principles of good communication in your relationships, but Google cannot tell you how to respond to this particular person in this particular circumstance. That requires wisdom. The challenge of wisdom is that it's not law. It's not simple. Proverbs is not designed to tell you what the right way is or what the wrong way is, but Proverbs is actually designed for us to ponder things. To put it another way, when we read the Proverbs, uh, we're not supposed to swallow it like a pill, but it's more like sipping a fine wine or a scotch, glass of scotch where you let the flavor linger and you try to analyze it or you try to ponder it. That's kind of how we're supposed to receive the Proverbs. Now, do you know why that's going to be difficult for us? We're not very patient people. Uh, when we can't answer a question in Bible study, we, we go to Google <laughs> and try to find the answer. We have a hard time meditating. We have a hard time pondering things. It takes too long, and usually we want the answer now. We want the solution now. Uh, we want to know how something is relevant to my life and to my situation now. Uh, I know people think that the best sermons or the most useful sermons are the ones where you can say, I can apply this to my life now. But let me say this, you know, sometimes the most valuable things in life are, uh, are not the things that are immediately available to us or not the things that are immediately applicable to us. Sometimes the most valuable things in life are the things that have been cultivated and built over a long period of time. And I would put wisdom in that category. It's not something that comes to us instantaneously. It's not something that maybe we can necessarily apply to our life and our situation now. But over the course of our lives, as we become wiser people, I think we're going to find the real value of wisdom. Now, have you ever seen, uh, you know, Tootsie Roll, Lollipops? I think those are still around. Uh, back in the day when I was a kid, uh, I still remember this commercial, but there used to be this commercial on tits, Tootsie Roll, Lollipops, and, you know, the, the cartoon character would say, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a, of a Tootsie Pop? You're at one, two, and then he would bite it and eat it. You know, the center of the Tootsie Roll lollipop is, uh, I guess, supposed to be the, the best part. It's supposed to be the good part. Uh, and I would say that's how we're supposed to approach Proverbs. You know, the best insights, we get to the good part when we spend a lot of time in it, when we spend a good amount of time reflecting on it and pondering it. So as I lay out the introduction to this book, if there is a goal for this series, uh, let me tell you what the goal is not. The goal is not to give you a simple answer to whatever you're going through now. It's not to necessarily help you make uh, a decision now about whether you should do this or that, although hopefully it does uh, help in that area. Proverbs is not meant to be this how-to manual, although if we started reading Proverbs at chapter 10, uh, we could easily uh, think that because it addresses a lot of practical things, and those practical things I hope to get to later on but we have to put it in its proper context. And the first nine chapters of Proverbs introduces the topic of wisdom for us so that we are not misled when we read the Proverbs and look at it as a how-to manual. Because the goal of Proverbs is not this, to help you make a decision now. The goal of Proverbs is actually to put you on the path of becoming wiser people. That's the goal of Proverbs. And therefore, when it comes time to make certain decisions in life, maybe Next year, maybe five years down the line, maybe ten years down the line, as we grow in wisdom, we will be better equipped to do so. 
Now today we're just doing something simple. We're just introducing wisdom. We're just introducing Proverbs. And uh, the first seven verses gives us a very neat outline in terms of answering us a couple key questions like what is wisdom? Why is it important? And where do we begin in order to get it? So we'll look at those three things. Now what is wisdom? Defining words is not the easiest task, uh, especially words that we use all the time that we think we know the meaning of. Uh, it's not easy to, uh, to come up with definitions. You know, we, we have this monthly men's prayer breakfast on uh, Saturdays once a month, and the last topic that we discussed was uh, what is your passion in life, right, as a way to kind of get to know each other. And then someone's like, you know, define passion. What does passion mean? And we're like, yeah, that's a good question. How do you define passion? And, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time defining passion and not really going, f- uh, right, spending as much time in the exercise. You know, everybody, I think, has a general idea of what wisdom is, but then when it comes down to defining it, uh, it, it's, a, it's a challenging task to, for us because wisdom is not quite the same thing as knowledge, although you need knowledge to have wisdom. And wisdom is uh, not the same thing as uh, gaining experience, although experience helps us become wiser people. And moreover, we don't want to define wisdom according to how uh, the world or how culture defines wisdom, but we're trying to define wisdom according to how the Bible understands and defines wisdom. And uh, this passage gives us uh, at least a sense of what wisdom is defined in the book of Proverbs. If you look at verse 2, it's, uh, we can see that wisdom is first words of insight, okay, words of insight. Now, according to one scholar, that he- Hebrew word for insight, uh, it refers to, quote, the faculty of intellectual discernment and interpretation. Someone who has discernment can see the nuances in life, can see the nuances in people, can see the grays, can see the unintended consequences of certain actions and certain decisions. Uh, can see that this is not a black and white issue, but can actually see uh, the multiple options that may come up. You know, when I was in seminary, I took a lot of uh, biblical counseling classes. I remember uh, some of my counseling professors, uh, they really tried to demystify this mindset that counseling is done by professionals or only done by experts. And they wanted to counter that myth by saying, you know, good counseling, essentially, when you get down to it, good counseling is not done by these highly trained professionals, but good counseling is done by people who can wisely apply the call to love one another. You see the difference in that? You know, the law says love your neighbor as yourself. The law says love. That's clear. That is black and white. But here's where wisdom comes in. How do we do that? How do we do that? And that's not always an easy thing to know and understand. Do we, uh, do we show this person more tough love? Do we show this person more compassion? How do we communicate with this kind of person? How do we get my, the point across best with this kind of person? There's a lot of options in terms of how we, know how we should love people well. And biblical counseling essentially comes down to that. In the midst of people's life situations and the things that they are going through, how do we love them with wisdom? When somebody is going through a lot of anxiety uh, or when someone is going through depression, how do we look at their life situation and apply wisdom? And you see, a wise person is going to say, you're anxious and you're depressed, not just because of the situation you're in, but there's a whole other host of factors, and this is something that I, uh, I see and I want you to see, and 
What you need is not simply immediate relief, but maybe what you need is long-term healing, right? There's a whole host of things that we can say to people who are going through certain things. See, a wise person, a person of insight, a person who has discernment, a person who can see the complexities and the nuance of a person, of a, of a situation, of life, will be able to counsel them accordingly. Second, in verse 3, it says, wisdom is instruction in wise dealing. Uh, another way to translate that, I think the NIV, NIV translates it this way, is wisdom is instruction in prudent living. Now, prudent living, uh, it takes that insight, it takes that discernment, and what it does is it takes it a step further and it applies it. Uh, prudent living is about taking, being able to take the practical steps towards solving a problem in a way that is better. And some of you probably have experience working with those kind of people at work, hopefully. Uh, you know those kind of people at work where they, they kind of just see it all. They see all the angles. They see the entire picture. They have the foresight to know the unintended consequences of a certain decision. They're able to wisely communicate uh, any changes that's going to affect uh, a large group of people. That's an example of what it means to be wise uh, or prudent. And if we take those two ideas, right, insight and prudent living, and we just kind of bring them together, then we have a starting point in terms of understanding what wisdom is. Wisdom is basically the skill of living. Wisdom is a skill of life. It's the mastery of life. It's a skill of navigating the areas of life with great success. That's wisdom. Now, why is wisdom important? Uh, you know, we're going to look at verse 7 in its entirety, or the first part of verse 7 a little, little bit later, but uh, I want to start with the second half of this. And the second half of verse 7 says, Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Why is wisdom important? Because without wisdom, we become fools. In Proverbs, a fool is uh, maybe not so much so how we might define or understand a fool. We might say a fool is somebody who lacks intelligence, but wisdom is not ultimately about intelligence and how much you know. You can have a lot of information. Uh, you can have um, you know, a great education. And you can still be a fool. Because in the Bible, a fool is someone who tries to walk a, the path of life that is very different from the one that God has set out. A fool is somebody who seeks to do what is right in his or her own eyes. That's what a fool is in the Bible. Now we said wisdom is the mastery of life. What is the mastery of life? It is to live according to God's divine pattern in terms of what he established, in terms of how he created the world to be, how he ordered the entire universe. If this is God's world, then wisdom operates in conjunction with how God created and designed the world. And therefore, what is a fool? A fool is someone who is going to reject God's order, reject God's design, and do ultimately what is right in his or her own eyes. Now, there's something interesting in the book of Proverbs. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. I don't know if you've ever read through the book of Proverbs, but wisdom and folly, they are personified as women. Uh, it's a pedagogical tool for young men. Uh, the original purpose of the Proverbs was probably to equip young men who were entering into adulthood with wisdom. And perhaps some of you know what young men are like. And if you are a man, then perhaps you remember what it was like to be a young man. Young men can be infatuated with women, and they can oftentimes make poor choices based on that infatuation. And so how do you get through to a young man about the importance of wisdom? Well, pedagogically, uh, you talk about folly and wisdom as if they were women, and that's what the book of Proverbs is doing. Lady wisdom, 
represents faithfulness and righteousness and courage and success and strength and truth. Lady Folly represents adultery, unrighteousness, brashness, laziness, ignorance. Ladies, Lady Folly's appeal is immediate gratification, but at the expense of long-term success and goodness and health. Lady Folly can seduce you just like a beautiful prostitute can seduce a young man. And that's, that's how you get this imagery in the book of Proverbs. But if you can resist the seduction of Lady Folly, then Lady Wisdom will allow you to live a life that is better. Lady Wisdom will give you life and joy and peace. And the question of the book of Proverbs for everybody here today is basically this. Which woman are you going to dine with? Who will you join yourself to? Folly or wisdom? If we want to align ourselves with wisdom, then where do we start? And here's where we return to verse 7, where it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The word fear, it's not uh, talking about this negative kind of fear where, um, you know, it's not like having a boss who is going to fire you once you make a mistake. That kind of fear is ultimately a fear of punishment or a fear of retribution rather than uh, uh, the kind of fear that the Bible is talking about. That kind of fear also, by the way, does not uh, ultimately lead to greater wisdom, but it can actually lead to greater folly. Uh, when people are ultimately driven by uh, self-preservation, they do all kinds of foolish things, right? That kind of fear is ultimately self-serving. The fear of the Lord in the Bible, it's not about the fear of punishment, but it actually has to do with deep reverence. That's what the fear of the Lord means. It's more like coming into the presence of someone that you deeply admire and you deeply revere, whether it's uh, maybe an author, whether it's a leader in your industry, whether it's some other kind of public figure. You meet this person, and there is a sense of deep reverence for this person because you respect them and love them so much. You know, I remember hearing an interview with an actor, and in this interview, this actor would say, you know, I was this huge fan of the actor Al Pacino, and uh, this actor would later be cast in the same movie uh, as Al Pacino, and he was basically asked what it was like to work with Al Pacino, and he would say, I had this, such a deep respect and a deep reverence for uh, Al Pacino that I was, I was so afraid of giving a poor performance. I didn't want to disappoint him. I didn't want Al Pacino to be uh, associated with a bad movie because of my poor performance. I think that's a little bit more of what the fear of the Lord means. Uh, it's something that is born out of deep reverence, deep awe, deep love for the Lord. Now, why is that important uh, in terms of a starting, uh, starting point for knowledge and wisdom? You know, it determines our orientation and our attitude. You know, in the presence of Al Pacino, I imagine this actor was probably like a sponge when it came to receiving direction about how to give a better performance. Without the fear of the Lord, you become wise in your own eyes, which is the definition of what a fool is. Wisdom starts not with experience, not with information. Wisdom begins with a reverent heart that is oriented towards our creator God. And when we have the fear of the Lord, do you know what's going to happen? we are going to have this deep desire for the wisdom of God. When wisdom is personified as a woman, it's not just saying you need to study more, you need to learn more in order to attain wisdom, 
The personification of wisdom is kind of a way of saying you need to love wisdom as if it were a person. You need to desire wisdom as if it were a person. You need intimacy with wisdom as though it were a person. You see, the fear of the Lord is about obeying God and living life according to his patterns and his order, and that's the definition of success in the book of Proverbs. It's about saying, I I don't want to put on a poor performance in God's story, in God's movie, not because I'm afraid he's going to smite me, but because I have such a deep reverence for him, therefore I want to live successfully. And if we want that, it's not enough to say, I need to master this body of information. But what we have to say is, I want to be so intimately connected to the very personification of wisdom that wisdom becomes a part of me. Now, how does that happen? You know how it happens? It happens when the ultimate personification of wisdom comes to us in grace and in love. You know, in 1 Corinthians, by the way, we're doing Bible studies on 1 Corinthians, so if you have been to the Bible studies, this will sound familiar. But, you know, in 1 Corinthians 1, one of the things that Paul does is uh, he talks about wisdom and folly, and he calls Jesus the wisdom of God. He doesn't say Jesus has the wisdom of God, but he says Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the ultimate personification of wisdom who came to us in a way that the world would have thought would be completely foolish. You know, Corinthian society is very similar to uh, New York in terms of its values. They valued status. They valued talent, ability, giftings. And so when the Apostle Paul came and he wasn't this great order and this great speaker that they wanted him to be, uh, they said, you know, you're not worthy to be an apostle. Uh, You're not worthy to be a leader. And it sparked division. And Paul essentially says this, you are all missing out on the ultimate wisdom of God. You're living as fools. Why? Because you're not boasting in your weakness. You're boasting in your skill and your ability. But see, the wisdom of God is reflected in our ability to boast in our weakness. And it's reflected in our ability to boast in the things that the world would not ultimately boast in. Now, why would anyone do that? Because God did it that way. God came in weakness, not in strength, in the person of Jesus Christ. God came uh, and he submitted himself in the person of Jesus Christ to this humiliating death upon a cross, shameful death on a cross. But isn't that foolish act where he ultimately demonstrates the wisdom, the supreme wisdom of God, in that he demonstrates true strength and true power and true victory, And Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. How do we get wisdom, friends? It's not by studying philosophy. That's what the Corinthians thought. We get wisdom because Christ, the wisdom of God, the personification of wisdom, was given to us. Desire wisdom because we desire Christ. And as we get more of Christ and as we grow in Christ, God grows wisdom within us. 
I, I don't know, you know, I haven't really planned ahead too far in terms of this uh, series. Uh, you know, the sermon's over, by the way, but let me just tell you. We can cut the recording here. <laughs> let me just tell you. Uh, I think this is going to be a challenge to preach for me. And, uh, you know, it was like as late as Friday where I was like, ah, let's do something else, right? <laughs> it's been such a struggle going through the book of Proverbs. I think it's going to be a struggle for me. I think it's a good struggle, though. Uh, and as we uh, really think about wisdom, uh, perhaps if you feel so inclined to go through the Proverbs yourself, uh, it's not going to feel natural to us. But I think if we can really ponder it, if we can meditate upon it, if we can seek it, love it, desire it, know that this is something that we uh, truly need desperately, if we ask God for it, as it says in the book of James, I do think that it'll produce wonderful fruit. Maybe not today, maybe not next week. Maybe not next month, but I think in a lifetime, as we become wiser people, we'll live closer to the uh, idea of what Proverbs calls the successful life. And I'm not talking about the American dream. I'm not talking about making a lot of money and all that stuff, but a life that lives in accordance with God's creation, his design, and his patterns. Let's seek wisdom, but let's first start by desiring it as we desire Christ himself. Let's pray together.